Good morning. I'm Marie Allison. I'm the Administration and Communication Director here at Faith. And today we're talking about Changed by the Spirit. This is the seventh week in our sermon series, Be Filled. Our passage today comes from Galatians 5, 16 through 25, and you're going to want to open your Bibles to that passage. Well, people often notice when we make a change in our appearance, when we've changed our glasses or changed our hair or lost weight or got a new outfit, people notice exterior change. What they often don't notice is interior change, the kind of change that goes on inside our heart that results in new behavior. Well, when I was 15 years old, I was really searching for the meaning of life. I was emotionally lost. I was confused about how to live, what moral values to have. I was lonely. I felt unloved. And that is when someone shared with me the love of God, and I responded. Well, right away, I felt a change. I felt God's presence with me, his constant companionship. I felt loved by him. I knew that he was going to guide and direct my life. Well, all these changes were inward changes, but I didn't know they were visible on the outside. I didn't know that until I had a conversation with my mom. And it's a conversation I still remember all these years later because she expressed with great enthusiasm, when you became a Christian, you changed. You really changed. Imagine a grumbling, complaining, rebellious, unhappy teenager becoming someone who is more joyful, more cooperative, more content, more directed. Well, if parents of teens knew that that was possible, Christian youth groups everywhere would be full to overflowing. Well, the power for this kind of good change is something that is available to all of us through the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, also called the Holy Spirit. Well, what does Christian change look like? We begin to look like Christ. We take on his character, his countenance. The Bible calls this the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And in Galatians 5.22, we see the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The passage was read for us this morning. I'll just highlight them. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance. Another word for forbearance is patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So how do we grow this kind of fruit? How does this good change occur in our lives? Well, change starts the moment that we can come to know Christ personally. It starts the moment that we come to know Christ personally. When I was in the fourth grade, my teacher started out the year by saying, I do not assume any knowledge on your part. I'm going to teach the subject as though you've never heard it before. I'm going to always start at the very beginning. Well, that was really good news to my fourth grade ears because I had changed elementary schools a lot. And at the beginning of every school year, I felt a little bit like everyone had this knowledge that I didn't have. They were all building on something that they had learned last year that I didn't have the opportunity to learn. 
And sometimes the Christian church can be that way. It may be that somebody is here for the very first time and you're just curious about Christianity. It could be that you're someone who's sat here Sunday after Sunday, but you feel like you've missed a very important part of information about the Christian faith. And so in case that's the, the situation for someone here, I want to start at the very beginning. And I want to answer the question, how do we receive the Holy Spirit? Well, first, we must be made right with God through Jesus Christ. And at that moment, we receive the Holy Spirit. To be made right with God, we need to understand some good news, some bad news, and some great news. So the good news is this. God loves us and created us to be in a loving relationship with him. In the Bible, in a verse called John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. Well, God not only loves the whole world, he loves you. He loves you personally. You are his precious child, and he wants to have a relationship with you. God is loving, and you are loved. Well, the bad news is that our sinful behavior separates us from God who is holy. Sin includes both the wrong things that we do and the right things that we don't do. Oftentimes, we don't take our sins seriously, but our holy God does. And Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death. Another way to say that is the payment for our sin is spiritual death. Well, many of us sense this gap between ourselves and a holy God. So we try to build our own bridge by doing good deeds, getting involved in religious activities. But however hard we try, however many good deeds we do, we can never make ourselves pure enough to come into the presence of God. And that's a sobering truth. Well, fortunately, there is great news. Romans 6.23 um, starts off by saying the wages for our sin is death, but it goes on. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. What this means is that Jesus Christ, who was God, paid the penalty for our sins on the cross. He took our punishment so that we wouldn't have to. He did that, that so through him we could be forgiven and have a right relationship with God now and forever. Well, this is the key message of the Christian faith, and it's the one that we need to respond to in order to know Christ in a personal way. So how do we respond? Well, we respond by saying a prayer that involves three little phrases. I'm sorry, thank you, and please. 
It's going to come up on the screen for you. And if you'd like to respond to Christ this morning, you can pray it um, by reading it on the screen. You can pray with your eyes open. And it goes like this. Dear God, I'm sorry for the wrong things I have done. I turn away from them now. Thank you for sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross to take the penalty for my sins. Thank you that through Jesus I am forgiven and made new and clean. Please come into my life. I give my life over to you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you did pray that prayer this morning, on the back of your Connect card, there's a place, uh, a little box to check off. And we would love to know because Pastor Nate would love to reach out to you this week and share with you how you can walk with the Lord. Well, when we believe the good news, bad news, and great news found in the Bible and receive Christ through prayer, the Bible tells us that we're cleansed of our sins, we're made new, we're born again, and we're made right with God through Christ. Well, the word that the Bible uses for this is called justification. We're justified. And that's a legal term that means God, God declares us not guilty. Well, some remember that by remembering the phrase, just as if I never sinned. In God's eyes, through Christ, it's just as if I never sinned. Praise the Lord. Through Jesus, we now have right standing with God who loves us. And justification is the key theme of the New Testament. We're made right with God through Christ, and then we're made right. We're made right with God through Christ, then we're made right. We're made to be the way he created us to be. Being made right with God is called justification, and being made right is called sanctification. So the moment we believe that's when the Holy Spirit enters our life and begins to renew our whole person, our minds, our will, our affections, and behaviors. And the definition of the word sanctification is to be made holy, to be made in the image of Christ. Well, justification takes just a moment, the moment we believe, but sanctification takes our whole life. I was leading a Bible study for people that were at all different places on their spiritual journey, but there were some new believers in the group. And during our sharing time, I was confessing some struggles that I was having with being patient with a certain person. And I shared with the group how I kept typing out these emails to that person, just expressing my frustration. And you know the kind of emails that you write. It's a type, 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 delete, delete, delete. Type, 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 delete, delete, delete. And then hopefully you never send them, hopefully. Well, as I confessed this struggle to my group, one man looked at me, he cocked his head in disbelief, gave me a very quizzical look and he said, how long have you been a Christian? And I responded, I said, well, since I was 15, a very long time. And he said, and you still struggle with things like that? And then he said, I thought once I became a Christian and got a year of Bible study under my belt, I'd be like good to go. I didn't realize it was going to take a whole lifetime. 
And then he laughed and he shook his head and he said, this is not good news. Well, the good news is that justification and sanctification, even though it takes time, do go hand in hand. Martin Luther said, there is no justification without sanctification, no forgiveness without renewal of life, no real faith from which the fruits of new obedience do not grow. We change the moment we come to Christ and we keep on changing. We change as we begin to display the fruit of God's Holy Spirit. Well, as we continue on this morning, we're going to look at five things that we need to know about how the Holy Spirit changes us. So it happens when we know Christ personally, and now we're going to look at what is it that's happening. Well, the first thing is that change happens from the inside out. Our scripture passage today is found in the book of Galatians, and it's written by the Apostle Paul, and he's writing to a group of churches in an area called Galatia. And just to put this on the historical Christian timeline, Jesus was um, crucified, he was resurrected, he ascended to heaven, and then he sends his Holy Spirit, and then the very first Christian churches were formed, and Paul is writing to those very first Christian churches in A.D. 57. A.D. 57. That's a very long time ago. And as with many of Paul's letters, he's addressing a problem, a crisis in the church. And I love reading Galatians because you can hear Paul's exasperation. What comes out of my mouth when I'm exasperated is, are you kidding me? And you can hear the Apostle Paul saying to the churches of Galatia, are you kidding me? And this is what he's frustrated about. He left them um, not too long before he wrote this letter. And when he left them, they understood the good news and the bad news and the great news of the gospel that we talked about this morning. They had responded to God, to Christ, by saying the I'm sorry, thank you, please prayer, or something like that. They were made right with God, and they knew that they were saved by grace alone. But then, soon after Paul left, some leaders that he calls false teachers came into the church, and they began to teach the people that in order to be right with God, they needed to obey and follow the Old Testament laws, especially the one about being circumcised. Well, these false teachers, also called Judaizers, were saying that Christ's work on the cross was not enough for salvation, and that for the Galatians to earn salvation, they needed to add their own good works, their own checklist of religious rituals. Well, in Galatians 2.21, the Apostle Paul says, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, then Christ died for nothing. In other words, if we can earn our own salvation, then why did Jesus die on the cross? So we have this group of people 
in Galatia who once understood grace, but now they've become rule obeyers. They've got a little mental checklist that they're checking off. If I do this and this and this and this, then I'll be right with God. And Paul says, don't do that. That is not the way. But as soon as he tells him that, you can almost see Paul's mind, the wheels turning, and he's thinking, gosh, if I tell them they don't have to obey all those rules, then maybe they'll just become rebels and renegades and do whatever they want. They'll have the attitude, I'm forgiven and I save, I'm saved by grace, so I can live however I like. Party, party, party. Well, the Apostle Paul writes the Galatians to tell them that obeying an exterior list of laws is not the way and doing whatever they want is not the way either. This is a new day and God has given us a better way. It's a way that the Old Testament prophets had told us and told them was coming. And now it has come. And that is that God has put his laws in our minds and in our hearts. Hebrews 8.10 says this, I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their people and they will be my God. And Hebrews is repeating a couple of passages from the Old Testament. So what is the law that God's put in our minds and in our hearts? And how do we obey it? And what's the evidence of change in our lives? Our second point this morning is change happens through the power of the Holy Spirit and is evident when we humbly serve others. And we get that from Galatians 5.13. I'm going to read that. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, Paul is focusing on the moral imperative of the Old Testament law. Love your neighbor as yourself. And we know, as Paul did, that loving our neighbor as ourself is really rooted in loving God. So what's it mean to be moral, to have this moral imperative? It means that we're concerned with the principles of right and wrong behavior and the goodness or badness of human character, especially our own. And I'm going to say that again, especially our own human character. John Stott says this, What are the marks of a person filled with the Spirit? There can be no doubt that the chief evidence is moral, not miraculous, and lies in the Spirit's fruit. And then he goes on to talk about humility, just as this passage does in Galatians 5.13. Humble submission is such an important part of Christian behavior that the verb appears 32 times in the New Testament. Not self-assertion, but self-submission is the hallmark of the Spirit-filled Christian. 
So how do we live out this moral imperative to serve one another humbly in love by the power of the Holy Spirit? We do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Both the Hebrew and the Greek words rendered in our Bible, um, ruach and pneuma, carry the idea of energy let loose, power in action, wind blowing, breath blowing. Power in action is in fact the basic biblical thought whenever God's Holy Spirit is mentioned. Pneuma, ruach, Holy Spirit, power in action. Well, the good news is that we have this mighty power available inside us to do good. And that is the difference with the Christian faith is that vices and virtues and lists like we find in Galatians were in other societies, in other ancient societies. People seem to identify there were some good ways to behave and some bad ways to behave. But what the Bible tells us is not only how we're to behave, but that we are empowered by God's Spirit to behave in ways that are good, to behave in ways that demonstrate these fruits of God's Spirit. So the good news is we've got this mighty power inside of us to do good. The bad news is that we leak. We have the world's largest bathtub at our house. It's bigger than anyone ever needs, but it came with the house. Unfortunately, what did not come with the house was a drain stopper, a drain plug for the tub. So we had to buy a universal drain plug at the hardware store. And it doesn't work very well. So the whole time I'm taking a bath, I'm hearing the water draining out of the tub. And if I don't continually refill that tub, then pretty soon I'm just taking a bath in a little tiny puddle. <laughs> and that is the way it is with the Holy Spirit. The effects of our human nature and the fallen world that we live in make the Holy Spirit's presence in our life less evident. He's always there, but he becomes less evident as we leak. Well, the scriptures tell us in Ephesians 5.18 to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So in this passage, Paul uses the imperative form. This is a command, not an option. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. He uses the plural form. He is saying to all of us in the Christian community, you all need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he uses the passive verb, be filled. In other words, let the Holy Spirit fill you. Yield to him without reserve. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Like water flowing into the bathtub, let the Holy Spirit fill you as you prayerfully read the word, the Bible, and do what it says. So how do we plug our leaks? Number three, change happens when we recognize our sinful human nature is opposed to the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.16 says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, 
and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. Well, what is the word flesh referring to? In the context of this passage, the word flesh is referring to our fallen human nature, our sin nature. And I'm going to read the verse out loud again, and I'm going to insert those words because I think it takes on new meaning, or new more, uh, a more concrete meaning. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of your fallen human nature. For your fallen human nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to your fallen human nature. They're in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. Watchman Nee says this, Our inner man is where God's Holy Spirit dwells. In every situation ask, Am I responding with my flesh, my fallen human nature, or with the Spirit? Just as we can't go right and left at the same time, we can't be controlled by our sinful human nature and the Holy Spirit at the same time. So Paul goes on to give us some examples of our sinful human nature. In Galatians 5, 19 through 21, there's a list of 15, and um, seven of them are physical, sensual sins, Eight are sins of the mind. And because we have all ages here in the sanctuary, from little ones to adults, we're going to focus on the sins of the mind. And I'm going to read them for us. Galatians 5, 19, um, in the midst of 20, starts in 20. Um, Sins of the mind, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. So when I personalize this for myself, I think I can't hate and be operating in the spirit. I cannot be contributing to discord and be operating in the spirit. I can't be jealous and be operating in the spirit. I can't be in a fit of rage and also at the same time be operating in the spirit. I can't have selfish ambition and be operating in the spirit. I can't be contributing to dissensions and factions and be operating in the spirit. I can't envy the good that someone else has and be operating in the spirit. To all of these vices, we must die to ourselves and live to Christ. And that's our fourth point this morning. Change happens when we die to self and live to Christ. Galatians 5.24 says this, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Well, Jesus himself describes this self-dying process. In Matthew 16, 24, Jesus says this, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. 
For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? And then he goes on in John 12:24 to say something similar but using different words, using an analogy from nature. Um, Jesus says, Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And some versions of the Bible will say it produces much fruit. Well, just like a seed is buried in the ground before it sprouts, and then it comes up and it bears fruit. That's the way it is in our Christian life. We are buried in Christ. We die to ourselves. And then we're born again to new life. But we must die to ourselves first. Well, Dr. Lon Allison, who's also my husband, says this. Dying to self means yielding our mind, our will, and our emotions to Christ's leadership. Dying to self means yielding our mind, our will, and our emotions to Christ's leadership. Well, what does dying to self and living to Christ look like in real life? It means that in every decision, we incorporate how we can best love God and love others. So, how can I motivate my family and encourage my family and raise my family so that they love God and love others? How can I spend my time so that I am best loving God and loving others? How can I spend my money, my financial resources, my material possessions to best love God and love others? It means praying the prayer that Christ himself prayed the night before he was arrested. Father, not my will, but thine be done. Father, not my will, but thine be done. Needs to be our constant prayer. J.I. Packer says this, We enter a thousand deaths day by day. But the good news is that we're also raised to a new and better life where we bear the fruit of God's Holy Spirit. Fifth, change happens when we claim the fruit of the Holy Spirit as our very own. As we die daily to our sinful human nature, we make room for the Spirit's lovely fruit to appear. I'm just going to say the fruit of the Holy Spirit again because I love them so much. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I have a little strawberry patch outside my back door, and this spring I watched the leaves come up, turn green, and then there were some little flower buds that began to form, and what I never noticed before was that it's in the very center of the flower that the little green strawberry starts to take shape. And at first it is just so tiny and then it gets bigger and it's large and green and then pretty soon it's large and red and fully ripe. 
Well, I didn't do anything to make those strawberries grow. I just tended the garden. I cleaned out some debris and I weeded the garden and I made sure they got some water. But those strawberries grew invisibly the way God designed them to grow. He put a little mechanism inside that strawberry plant that grew the fruit. I didn't have to get in there with a needle and thread and stitch the strawberry together. I didn't have to go in with a tool and shape the strawberry. The strawberry grew invisibly on its own. And that's the way the Holy Spirit's fruit grows in our lives. We cultivate the garden, but God causes the growth. John Sanderson says this, Christian character is not purely human product. Although God uses means in shaping it, it is God's work. God unites himself to man so that there is continual flow of grace and power that produces fruit. Man is to trust in the word, the Bible, obey it, meditate on it, delight in it, and under those conditions, fruit is inevitable and God is pleased. So in conclusion, the Holy Spirit is in the change business. The Spirit changes us from the inside out. Change occurs through the power of the Holy Spirit and is evident when we humbly serve others. Change happens when we recognize our sinful human nature is opposed to the Spirit. Change happens when we die to ourselves and live to Christ. Change happens when we claim the fruit of the Holy Spirit, that lovely fruit, as our very own. Well, this week, I encourage you to read the short letters of Paul that follow this book of Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, because you're going to see these themes repeated, and you're going to be enriched. And also, I want you to um, use your bulletin insert that lists prayers to claim the fruit of the Spirit. And I want to encourage you to claim one of the fruits of God's Holy Spirit each day. Let me close us in prayer. Lord, thank you that your Holy Spirit lives inside each of us who believes and supercharges us to love you and love others. We submit ourselves to you and pray that through you, we will bear the fruit of your Spirit and that we would love you and love our neighbors with a supreme love. In Jesus' name, amen.